0: You are listening to Thulos, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Thulos explores servant leadership as an orthodox Christian. I'm Holly Benton, your host and executive director of the Orthodox Christian Leadership Initiative. Anna Caravelli, author of the Demand Perspective, leading from the outside in, joins me today on this podcast episode. Anna is managing partner of the Demand Networks LLC of research consulting, leadership Customer and organizational development firm specializing in deep and sustainable customer engagement and organizational change. Prior to consulting, she held various management positions in the membership and education divisions of the Smithsonian and Brookings institutions. Anna also serves on the board at St. Mary's Orthodox Church of the Romanian Episcopate of the OCA in Falls Church, Virginia. Welcome, Anna. I'm so pleased to be talking with you today.
1: Thank you very much, Holly, for having me. And you made me sound so much better than I make myself sound.
0: Well, I wanted to interview you, Anna, after we had some really wonderful and engaging conversations about empathy as it relates to the parish leadership and mentoring programs we're developing through the Orthodox Christian Leadership Initiative. You were so generous and you shared your book with me, The Demand Perspective, Leading from the Outside In. Even though your research didn't focus on parish health specifically, you uncovered many critical components that are necessary to the health of any organization, including churches. So Anna, tell us what you mean by your title. What is a demand perspective?
1: A demand perspective, simply put, is the perspective of the people that you serve, mm-hmm. the perspective that guides your decisions. A perspective that should be central to the way that your organization thinks. And I should tell you that it all starts because I noticed how many of the nonprofit membership organizations such as associations, but also universities, how they struggle with engaging people, mm-hmm. they struggle with attrition. They struggle with a slow decline of relevance. And I wanted to understand what it was that made the difference, what made an organization capable of engaging and inspire and being relevant to its members, as opposed to going through a slow death. I was also influenced by the work of Ranjay Gulati, who looked for a similar pattern in the for-profit organizations. And I found what he found, I found that the organizations that focused on themselves, their own glory, their own preoccupations, their own agendas, uh, their own perspective, rather than the members, were the ones that declined mm. very rapidly. And the organizations that put their customers at the center, not just of their business, the center of the heart. They were the ones that thrived.
0: And so, then this other part of the title, leading from the outside in. How does one lead from the outside in?
1: That's the hardest thing of all. And by the way, I wanted to say that churches, like any other human organizations, face the same situation in that they begin with fervor, you know, the, the startup phase, with a commitment to your clients, your members, your faithful without whom you wouldn't even exist. Mm -hmm. And over time, as the focus on self becomes stronger and stronger and stronger, you lose that connection with the people you serve and you become increasingly irrelevant in their lives. Mm -hmm. How do you lead from the outside in? I found, and I struggled so much with the client organizations and the organizations that I work with, I found that when it comes to change, there's an impulse to do something great immediately, to have a big survey, to come up with a big strategic plan and state goals and come up with, you know, written descriptions of promises and aspirations, or improve your website, or hire new people. But they're all external things. They're all things that involve the matter mm-hmm. and not the people. Mm-hmm. My conclusion is that the harder change which needs to take place is to really change the way you think and the way you do things, Mm -hmm. which is the toughest change of all. I work with a big membership organization that claimed that they wanted to be unified. They wanted to create a team-oriented environment. They wanted to share the same vision for growth and the same aspirations. And they had countless of staff meetings and retreats to find out the way. But, for example, I noticed the different units created separate budget. There was no shared budget with shared objectives so that one department contributed this, another one contributed that. So they had individual budgets so that the units competed with each other. And lost sight of the great big goals that they had articulated in their reports. Hmm. Or of work with organizations that claim they're customer-centric and yet they start looking at the customers as disruptions. The fathers talk about the passions taking over, starting with a mere thought that becomes embedded in our thinking and then embedded in our habits. This is the same pattern for organizations. They become wedded to the way things are. One ambition leads to another ambition. One agenda leads to more agenda and they become preoccupied with themselves. So the customers are a disruption. I don't know how many times do you hear maybe organizations you've worked with, you know, talk about, oh, customers don't understand us. (laughs) Uh, There's a lack of humility that takes place. Mm -hmm. You you, you think you know it all. You're not driven by curiosity. So you may say that that you are, and everybody says that. Nobody says I'm not customer-centric. Everybody, you know, says, yes, I'm customer-centric, but their actions say the opposite, because they never spend time talking about customers. They never take time to listen to the frontline people, the people who answer phones, to ask them what to learn. Right. This is the toughest thing. This is where the rubber hits the road, is when you actually have to do things differently. Mm, mm -hmm.
0: So you suggested as a way to ground our podcast listeners into a scriptural foundation for this approach leading from the outside in, that we read Mark chapter 10 verses 43 through 45. Let me read that now. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all for the son of man also came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In your book, you compare and contrast an inside-out bureaucratic organization to an outside-in or customer-centric organization. An outside-in organization is one that doesn't expect to be served, but to serve. So when I read in your book, Anna, that inside-out bureaucratic organizations tend to ask, how do we increase attendance and increase engagement? I couldn't help but think of how often we spend those same questions in parish council meetings where the same question gets asked a lot. How do we get more people involved in what the church is doing? Absolutely. And what I love is that you suggest rather as an outside-in organization, as an organization that would rather serve And to be served, it's better to ask, how can we understand and connect to what matters the most to our parish members? So give us some examples of how we can change the focus from self to others.
1: Good question. First of all, Christianity is such an amazing religion. People think of it as, you know, passe, irrelevant, old-fashioned, but the truths are evident In business as well. Christianity is revolutionary. The chapter that you read, that humility, through humility, you ascend to God. Through emptying yourself, you fill yourself with God. Through dying for God, you're renewed. These truths are also, you find them in business. People see through marketing hype and promises in word and nominal gestures in which they're treated more as commodities, as sources of income, rather than as human beings to whom you're committed to help. In business, it's true too that the more you empty yourself, the more you focus, the the more you humble yourself, because if you're an inside-out organization, you know it all. Mm -hmm. You don't really feel that you have anything to learn from your members. They're characterized by lack of curiosity. They do as little as they can to get to know members. They consider it a waste of time. Whereas the outside-in organization, they use every opportunity to engage members in conversations, to get to understand not just yes and no answers, but what matters to them outside the organization. Mm. The humbler an organization is, the more aware of their own limitations of knowledge. And the more curious they are about the members, the more engaged the members are. I want to bring an example that is in my book, The Veterinary Information Network. The usual way for associations is you begin with an organizational model, with a structure, you come up with processes, with a governing body, with products and services that you think, you know, people will buy. And then you try to push your products and your view on other people. So it's a command and control thing. It's a top-down thing. So associations, for example, will offer, you know, discounts, insurance, you know, a a set of, you know, programs. Mm -hmm. They ask what programs we should have, but they don't say, should we even have products? Maybe it's something else that members want. So veterinary information network started empty, so to speak. They didn't set up a top-heavy organization. They followed, they understood members. They had long conversations with them. They visited their place of work. They were independent veterinaries, not parts of these huge practices. mm mm-hmm. They understood that these people felt isolated. They needed community. They understood that they didn't have the time and the resources if, say, in the course of conducting an operation, surgery, they needed a quick answer from a specialist. They couldn't reach the specialist. So there's no reason, no point in the association assembling a huge library if people could not access it when they needed it. Mm-hmm. So. They created, in essence, a network rather than a list of products, a network that became the largest virtual practice in the world. And it gave them immediate access to specialists. They gave them immediate access to a state-of-the-art database research database as they work. It gave them the ability to contribute to the database by putting their own experiences, successful cases. Mm -hmm. This network, in a way like Amazon, that didn't say I'm a bookstore, and they keep morphing. They don't put the structure and the products of the organization first. They're not attached to it. And they keep morphing into all kinds of different distribution center, into collective marketplace where people exchange ideas. And the churches are no different. Every church has to have, you know, whatever, ladies' guild and a parish council and rummage sale. And we never think, start with the members to say what truly matters to them. Mm-hmm. And then rethink products and services. The first thing to do is get to know members in a different way, deep inside. Mm -hmm. Empathy is the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes. It's not simply finding out yes or no, do they like the choir or do they want more of what you have or less of what you have. We tried this at my church, St. Mary's. We were about to embark on a capital development project on expansion of our facilities. Our first thought is to start from the inside, to get together, to come up with a plan, to come up with our objectives, and then at some point further down the road to run a survey. But instead of that, we took a team of 20 people we run them through a workshop for how to conduct ethnographic research how to get inside someone's heart and soul and, and see the world the way they see to understand it mm. then each of these 20 people interviewed maybe I don't know, 10 15 people in a way that didn't just ask questions based on what we already had you know like would you like more programs of the kind that we have? We ask them things that involve their whole life, like what matters. Right.
0: What keeps you up at night?
1: <laughs> what keeps you up at night? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Why this church? Why do you come to this church? What connects you? What links you? Which, by the way, is the key to engagement, to find out where the sweet spot is. Where is the maximum point of true connection with the people that you serve? And we found out incredible things. We found out, for example, that in part because we have a large number of converts, that people wanted spiritual growth. They wanted other people who are serious about it. They wanted discussion. They wanted debate. They wanted the church to be more than once a week. They wanted to expand it with things like, you know, movie night, online learning. So it just completely changed what we thought. We
0: wanted more connection, and which doesn't necessarily mean building.
1: Exactly. It doesn't mean building. It means we're given the reason for a building. It's not the building. Right. It's that they want to do certain things that would require a building.
0: This is a really wonderful way to imagine engagement through a demand perspective leading from the outside in. Our listeners can find your book on Amazon.com, and I would encourage everyone to read it, even your example of the veterinary institution. You know, you mentioned that these are independent veterinarians, which really remind me of our priests and our parishes that tend to be at times isolated and siloed. And I think some of the examples that you give in your book can really be rendered towards leadership and the situation that we find our parishes in, and especially in thinking leading from the outside in with those questions that promote empathy and connection and really getting at the heart of what matters to the people that we're serving.
1: Ask. Yourself about the church? Is this a place where people come once a week, or is this a community mm-hmm. that helps them address their inner struggles, their problems, their need for community? What is the role your church plays? In your parishioners' life, how central is it to their lives? Right, a
0: framework for their lives, for helping them set the priorities of their lives. That's what we hope it to be, and that's you know how the liturgy is served as a way to feed us so that we can go out and serve
1: others. I have been invited to help organizations who love my ideas, loved the big vision of uh, connectivity with clients, of counting for something in their lives of transformation. And that was great. That was fine. But when it came to doing everyday things differently, which is where it resides, it's not in the the big objectives you articulate, is in the daily routines, the way you do little things, that's when they found it impossible, many of them, to move. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is a disconnect, just like with human beings, that there is A fragmentation between who we say we are, who we would like to be, who we want people to think we are, and what we actually do, what our actions do.
0: Right. It takes hard work. Even the example that you were talking about, the way that we look, the website, the products that we put out there, the image that we're creating. I mean, so much so even as an individual Christian, how much easier it is to put on a headscarf or grow a beard or or wear a cross exactly, or even do the fast, but to actually have the habit of checking the criticisms or the gossip or the things that come out of your mouth that offend others. What kind of habits do we have and how difficult they are to break?
1: Look at most churches, how we talk about love in Christ, right? This is the center of our religion is, is love. Mm-hmm. And yet our parish councils or different committees or anything but love environment, there is contention, there are divisions, there are personal agendas, and we can so easily be overwhelmed by the passion, so easily lose sight. what is good or evil, and mistake evil for good. So vigilance is important, and discipline. How do we allow love for Christ to be manifest in our lives, in our parish's life, as love for other people? Right, amen. How can we create engaging, loving parish councils that are free from attachments to their own agendas and antiquated processes and habits of mind and empty ourselves right. and then to let love for others come in.
0: Oh, I'm so excited to be talking with you. This approach to empathetic questions and curiosity is just so helpful for any clergyman or parish leader in cultivating a vision in their own parishes to address the people that they're serving with empathy and with curiosity and seeking to understand and humility thank you so much for this conversation and i hope our listeners will check out your book the demand perspective leading from the outside in
1: thank you very much for having me Holly.
0: so happy to have you on thank you thank you